Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. On Commons People this week. We realized that in no way could we sign up to that text because essentially it was making a red line down the Irish Sea. The tail wags the dog as the DUP sink May's Brexit breakthrough. Not in sectors, I think. There's no, there's no sort of systematic uh, uh, impact assessment. David Davis disagrees with David Davis about what David Davis said did exist. And to celebrate our 100th show, Ed Miliband joins us to talk about life after being Labour leader. I did get asked to do this crisp advert with Gary Lineker. All of this and more on Commons People. Hello and welcome to Commons People, HuffPost UK's politics podcast. And you're joining us for our 100th show. Well, kind of 101st, because the 100th show is actually with Ed Miliband, which is up separate. But we'll call it like 100A and 100B, okay? Yeah. So we still do the celebrating. Joining me this week, we have Mr. Ned Simons. Hello, Ned. Hello. We have Mr. Paul Wall. Hello, Paul. Hello. And we have Kate Forrest. How are you, Kate? Uh, good, thanks. Good. Excellent. Uh, before we uh, get to that wonderful Ed Miliband chat, sometimes you just have to sit back, have a cup of tea and smile at the sheer madness of it all. Yes, Brexit negotiations took yet another farcical turn this week when Theresa May went to Brussels, all determined to sort out the Northern Ireland border issue, but seemingly forgot to tell the DUP what her plans were. And as soon as the party which keeps May in power discovered the Brexit deal might mean separate regulation rules in Northern Ireland to the rest of the UK, they torpedoed the draft agreement. Here's Theresa May giving a glummer than expected press conference in Brussels on Monday. Both sides have been working hard in good faith. We've been negotiating hard uh, and a lot of progress has been made. And uh, on many of the issues there is a common understanding. But it is cl- and it's clear, crucially, that we want to move forward together. But on a couple of issues, some differences do remain, which require further negotiation and consultation. And here's DUP leader Arlene Foster explaining why Irish eyes weren't smiling. We spoke on Sunday evening, uh, didn't have text, and the text landed with us uh, on late Monday uh, morning. Uh, Now that uh, left us in a very difficult position. Uh, We had to look at the text, we had to try and understand what the ramifications of the text was. Um, And when we had a chance to do that, we realised that in no way could we sign up to that text because essentially it was making a red line down the Irish Sea. Uh, that's a bit, I mean, this is a bit of a farce, really. I mean, at least Chamberlain had a piece of paper when he came back from uh, overseas. <laughs> uh, Theresa May didn't even have that, did she? I just, I don't understand why they didn't tell the DUP what they were doing. Yeah, it's, I just, it's mad. It, it complete, it's completely baffling. Is this like when they didn't give Ledson the bit of paper during the leadership contest when they made her Boris's chances as she ran her own campaign? <laughs> yeah. People just, just walking around handing bits of paper to the wrong people. So much you collect them. Now, from what I understand it, the real problem here was uh, the new chief whip, Julian Smith. It was his job on Sunday to actually brief the DUP properly, get them on board... Now, he thought they were on board, believe it or not, but I don't know how he could have thought that because he didn't tell them some of this crucial phrasing, which is regulatory alignment. 
and you know that's extraordinary. All right, he's new. Gavin Williamson is the new defence secretary. He used to the guy who was the the point person with the DUP for the Tories. He's since gone. But Julian Smith, I, I, some ministers to me yesterday were saying that he's the one who's to blame. And he was deputy chief. Yeah, this. yeah. It's not and like he's suddenly come in from some outside yeah. politics. I and thought, the, sorry, go on. I no, thought no. it was Damien Green's fault. Well, he is being blamed as well. Anyway, because he's another point man, but particularly <laughs> with, particularly with all the regions, uh, and some in the DUP, DUP were blaming Green for not being up to speed. But actually, ultimately, it is the chief whip's role, and was the point is the prime minister sent him to to sort it out, and he didn't. I, I don't know how you forget to say it. I mean, the second it kind of was leaked out by RTE that that was the main part of it. Every single person or journalist that saw it said, "What's the DUP think? Oh, we assume they must be on board because otherwise, that wouldn't be in it." But no, I don't see how you forget to... One of the, the problems which someone in number who used to work in number 10 uh, was telling me this week was that when you have these kind of agreements, they're written in diplomatic language, they're always allowed to have a certain amount of ambiguity within them to allow people to take what you want. The DUP believe the Bible is literally true, they believe in literal things, so they don't want any ambiguity in these agreements. <laughs> they're going, no, we don't want any kind of ambiguity, we want this literally to be nailed on. And I guess they're not playing by the diplomatic rules. Now, Nigel Farage on his radio show last night said that this is because they're conviction politicians and they're not professional politicians, and isn't Arlene Foster doing a good job? Jacob Rees-Mogg stood up in the comments as said the DUP keeping uh, the UK honest over Brexit. But it seems to be slightly odd because if Jacob Rees-Mogg or Nigel Farage were in charge of Brexit negotiations, that would inevitably lead to a hard border in Northern Ireland because they wouldn't do any of this kind of regulatory convergence alignment but nonsense, would they? Do you think also it comes with how you're approaching negotiations? For people who want just to get to the phase two bit, which is the trade deal, people are more willing to be kind of have ambiguity. They just want to get past the first stage. If you're Jacob Rees-Mogg and Nigel Farage, you're not really that bothered because they stuck that the thing of wanting actually no deal for them seems fine well, so they're more kind of steadfast in no kind of vagueness yeah but i think that the the point about negotiations is normally they're done behind closed doors mm. and the real difficulty with this with the leak that was leaked by ireland and brussels it spooked to the dup because they hadn't seen the wording and the big big problem is that normally this stuff is done behind closed doors and if you, everyone's allowed to see the full text, then everyone thinks, oh, God, um, then we can't really make progress on this. Because it's only after a text has normally been finally agreed that people will, will normally come on board in, in terms of selling it. And I think that's what's difficult here, that you've got the glare of publicity and, and on what is normally a private set of negotiations. And I think that's the wider problem here for the government, which is that um, the DUP, I think, have done us all a favour by, by putting their hands up and saying, look, I don't, we don't particularly like the way this was done. They've done the cabinet a favour because the Pete Brexiteers say, actually, alignment, what does it mean? Have we signed on, off on this? And we're not sure they have. Um, but it's, she's actually, they've done the country a favour because actually it's explored a wider debate about what kind of Brexit do we want. So what happens now? Because obviously Theresa May has been sort of waiting by the telephone in the past couple of days, waiting for people from Northern Ireland and Ireland to call her, and they have. They spoke yesterday, the Irish Taoiseach and um, Arlene Foster both spoke to on Wednesday. We don't seem to have moved on anything. And we've got this Brussels summit next week where it was supposed to be rubber stamped. So, are we, I mean, do we think there's going to be progress at this summit now? Is that is that looking likely? I've no idea, to be honest. All right, I don't, don't know something. anything anymore. <laughs> like... It looks it looks like we're not going to hear very much more till next week now, I'm guessing. I mean, Ned, you were talking about this this morning in a little bit more detail than me. But I just, honestly, like, 
I wouldn't I rule out a, a deal by, you know, who knows? You could, by the end of today, Theresa May could, they could finally mm. sign the DUP off and th- get things going. And Sunday night, they could have a, a final meeting with Juncker. I wouldn't rule any of that out. Um, so we shouldn't overdo it. But at the same time, um, you know, the, the difficulty has been that everyone just keeps talking about the Irish element of this. But I think what's been been really interesting this week has been the Scottish angle. And Ruth Davidson offering with that statement on Tuesday morning a way out of the problem by saying actually and the DUP getting on board with it which is yeah one way around this is have regulatory alignment not just for Northern Ireland but for the whole of the UK and that, but that's where the Jacob Rees-Mogg's and Nigel Farage's yes, world wouldn't be friends with the DUP well yes and no I mean it's obvious from David Davis the way he tried to finesse this in the chamber um, before he did his other blunder. Um, but he actually managed to sort of try and square the circle, saying, look, alignment doesn't mean harmonisation. There's a, you know, alignment can mean different things, but it certainly doesn't mean cutting and pasting EU rules. So we're not taking rules. So, and I think that's why the, that is, it's quite a nice phrase for the Brexiteers. They shouldn't junk it necessarily. We shall see what happens. Uh, but just when we thought it couldn't get any more farcical, uh, David Davis said to Theresa May, hold my pint while he appeared before the Brexit Select Committee. The topic of conversation was the sectoral impact studies carried out by the government. You know the ones, the ones that Labour MP Seema Malhotra and David Davis discussed in October. Has the Prime Minister <laughs> seen the impact assessments that have been published? That we haven't published? Yes. Well, she knows, she'll know the summary outcomes of them. She won't necessarily have read every single one. But, dear listener, it turns out October David Davis was wrong as December David Davis explained to Brexit Select Committee Chair Hilary Benn this week. So, just to be clear, has the government undertaken any impact assessments on the implications of leaving the EU for different sectors? of the Not in sectors, I think. There's no, there's no sort of systematic uh, uh, impact assessment. So... Does David Davis think it's a sin, like, to not make news at, a bre- at the committee? <laughs> I can't, like, every single time he does something which is just so extraordinary. And it's possibly because it's Brexit, so it's going to be news. But every time I can't, I can't believe it. But it just all and fits into the myth of David Davis, of just being this guy who's just... Yeah, the, and the whistling, the, got the whistling milkman, and he also the whistling milkman. <laughs> yeah, that's what he's known as to some of his colleagues. Yeah, like Pat Mustard, just whistles down the road. Here's Larry. Pat Mustard. Who's Pat Mustard? The milkman in Father Ted. Let's not oh. even. <laughs> <laughs> moved one. on from Ireland. We've moved on from Ireland now. The <laughs> interesting Davis, I thought, at this committee, usually he's so laid back, sort of one, high, one arm around the chair, being very casually dropping massive news bombs. This time he was way more agitated. I think he, he knew it was going to be a story. Just from the start, he was very talking fast and being quite aggressive and quite agitated with the questions. I think he knew what was about to happen, unlike the other times when he accidentally causes huge stories. Okay, well, let's, let's, let's boil it down. Did he mislead Parliament? Yes or no, was Richard Berg. I don't say. think he did. And I think, you don't think he did? No, I don't think so, because misleading Parliament is quite a big charge, don't forget. You know, basically accusing him of lying. Politics isn't that, you know, um, crude most of the time. It is about ambiguity. It's about creative ambiguity, is the phrase he's used a lot. And, you know, he, he got away with it by saying, you know, there's a formal definition of the word impact assessment, a regulator impact assessment, what that means in Whitehall. I'd never said that I was doing those. But I think the, the, the perhaps the more interesting thing is that that actually, as far as Davis is concerned, um, that these sectoral analyses were never, ever meant to be quantitative, to use his phrase. They're always qualitative. So he's never, he, doesn't, he said he didn't like models, he doesn't like forecasting what's going to happen. He still now, talked them up, though, didn't he? Oh, he did, he did. No, but that's what I find interesting. He's ideologically 
against the idea of saying you can quantitatively forecast what's going to happen in these different models. Now, that's a difficult position as a minister to be in. And he even undermined that own argue, his own argument by saying at some point in the near future, I think, mm. Ned, you listened to it, he said that we will at some stage quantify the effect of the different options. So this isn't over You're by like any means. You know, at <laughs> some stage. And the Treasury, that was what was really fascinating, is yesterday, Philip Hammond, he said stuff in October, which everyone's forgotten, and he repeated yesterday which is the Treasury have some really sophisticated economic models that actually do do the quantitative stuff. So I think Labour missed the trick here. Instead of instead of targeting Dexu and, and Davis, they should have targeted the Treasury and Philip Hammond with their original motion because the Treasury have got lots of information, it seems, about all the different scenarios, and we don't know about them. When you go back and listen to the stuff that Davis has said, people put these videos together of all the times he talks about these assessments. Actually, the one time he actually acknowledges their impact assessment was that clip played with Seema Hotjo mm. where she uses the words impact assessment yeah. has a prime minister read them and then he says oh summation all the other times it's very clear he doesn't say much yeah. he says sexual analysis and there's yeah. been a quite a bit of like if not wrong reporting but kind of um mixing those two things together yeah. Yeah. it's that one exchange with Mahotra and he's lucky I think because he very easily himself could have repeated impact assessment yeah. back to her in that long question answer and he's very lucky he didn't because yeah. you can just say I never said those two exactly words right. and there's also a situation in PMQs when Mahotra asked Theresa May about impact assessments and she said that you know they would be released some point down the line again she's lucky that she didn't herself use those two words I think it's fluky but they've got away with it Pure luck. And they're lucky, though, but in the Labour, actually, there's confusion about Labour's position, don't forget. I mean, the the problem with this is that I think on uh, Keir Starmer was, you know, quite rightly trying to make hay over David Davis's embarrassment this week. You know, he triggered this whole thing. But when you push Labour... Basically, Labour's position is roughly where the government are heading. All right, there's a big distinction that during the transition, Labour wants to stay in the single market in the customs union, so they say. But, I mean, everyone... But everyone accepts that you cannot do that technically if you've left the European Union. So they're going to have to have some sort of associate membership status or whatever. And Labour needs to come clean on that. And I think the government are going to try and get there for the transition as well. Whatever happens after the transition, we'll see what Labour's position is. So as you said at the top of the show, uh, we had a very special guest this week, Ed Miliband. Mr Paul Wall and I went and met him in his office on Wednesday to have a chat about all things, mainly how his podcast is massively more listened to than ours. No, that's annoying. not true. Is that not true? Is no, that fake news? No, 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 it's fake news. It's not massively more listened to. Anyway, uh, we've put the whole thing up as a separate podcast and it is great fun. He he was on top form, wasn't he, Paul? He was indeed. He was very relaxed. He was very, very chilled. Was, very chilled. Yeah, and he had a couple of interns. Horizontal. He had a couple of interns in his office with him. He was sitting there just laughing as they were hearing some stuff he was coming out with. It was and great. he had on the table like a kind of board game, like an old board game which is like the communist version of Monopoly. <laughs> yeah. What was it called? It, it, was it wasn't cool. class war, but something, something like that. Like, it, it was, was, it was so on brand for Ed Miliband. Like, <laughs> you don't care anymore, do you? Anyway, this is him talking about his new freedom on Twitter. Is it refreshing for you, having been leader of the opposition, and I imagine trying to get a message out Perhaps he has to get signed off by lots of people. You have to sort of focus a bit. I blame the advisors myself, well, Owen. And you're, and, you're, uh. and you're absolutely right to it. But now, now you, like you said you don't need to do that. There's, there's an immediacy to it. Is that nice to have that sort of freedom to sort of just chuck ideas out there and not have to worry yes. too much? Yes, I mean, look, I don't 
I think it's really important to say this, that when you know people say on Twitter sometimes, oh, I wish he could have been like this when he was leader of the opposition, <laughs> I blame the advisors. If you don't blame the advisors, blame me. I mean, you know, I take responsibility for everything that happened in those four and a half years. Um, you know, but... Um, what you know? What, what what would I say? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yes is the answer. Um, it, look, it's a, it's a different. It's just a different. It's a whole different enterprise, and you know, I'm not constrained in the way that I was. And some of those constraints were probably excessively self-imposed, and some of them are real. You know, I did a tweet the other week um, uh, saying Donald Trump's an absolute moron. You know, and <laughs> okay, lots of people liked the tweet. Um, there was a context. It was because he was spreading false stuff about the crime figures in Britain and saying it was all to do with radical Islamic terrorism. You know, Jeremy Corbyn, you know, no doubt he kind of agreed with me. Uh, not that he said that, but to me, but you know, he can't tweet that yeah. what an absolute moron, you know, and that's just and that's Jeremy Corbyn, you know, who probably feels less constrained than I feel, <laughs> you know, uh, felt. So, so there are constraints, and and you know, as I say, some of them are self-imposed and some of them are real yeah. um, about about the. Um, uh, about the job, but this this only this week. You, yes, you, your your lip smacking mm. Pepsi type tweet, tweet lip smacking thirst quenching ace testing, but yeah. actually it was in a different context about the government. Um, got a hundred and more than a hundred thousand likes on Twitter. Yeah, and indeed, a um, member of the cabinet just said to me, "What did he say?" That I won't name him. Very restrained tweet. He said to me. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, what, what was behind that? Was that just you picking up the phone one morning, thinking, "Right, yep, I've got to yep, alert this out." Yep. You know, I, I, I basically I sort of woke up. The, we we voted late on uh, Brexit on Monday night, and uh, I sort of woke up the next morning. I was listening to the radio, as I'm sure lots of people were. Um, and I was hearing some, I think it was a former minister, uh, sort of saying, oh, something, it made it sound like, you know, the, the UP were running the country. Um, and I just thought, oh, for goodness sake, and just the whole, the whole f- fiasco of, of, you know, Manic Monday. I mean, you know, <laughs> uh, really and truly, so I, I don't know. And, and it's true, I couldn't, have, I wouldn't have done that tweet. And then Mr. Paul War asked him about the infamous Millie fandom. I mean, it brings me back to actually Millie fandom, 2015. Yes, yes. I mean, obviously at the time, you know, a lot of people were saying, look, this shows that Twitter is not a medium for the real world because although there seemed to be an upsurge in young people yeah. supporting you, it didn't somehow translate in the polls. Jeremy Corbyn did somehow manage to translate that, that swing in the polls. What do you think has happened between now and then? The absolute boy, as they call him. <laughs> uh, um, what has happened? Uh... So, I think a couple of things have happened. Um, Brexit happened. And I think for a lot of young people who maybe didn't vote or didn't think it was going to happen, I think it was a massive shock. And I think also Jeremy mobilised younger people in a way that I I didn't do as well as he did doing that. Um, And I think he... You know, in a way, I think that is... Look, if there's one big... Uh, sort of party political lesson uh, as opposed to Brexit of 2017 I think it's I don't know where you were on the exit poll at 10 o'clock at night but you know my some of my Labour colleagues had a behind the scenes documentary about themselves Indeed. but I think if we're honest around this table all of us would have looked as surprised as them actually yeah probably. Like Stephen Kinnock there perhaps well I don't I'm not, I'm, <laughs> no, I just in general I just think I think I think it was a surprise. Even Jeremy, maybe. It was even Jeremy. It was you know it was a surprise for the whole mm. political class. Now, you know I think it's really interesting understanding that. But one, just going back to the question, one of the reasons for that was the way that Jeremy 
um, you know, mobilised young people. And I think that is incredibly... If I'm thinking about things that are, you know, positives about the country, uh, despite the peril of Brexit and so on, I think that is a massive positive. I am not a centrist dad. You know, I don't think to myself... Um, nobody's actually claiming to be a centrist dad, are they? Tony Blair said he's not a centrist dad either. I mean, Jeremy uh, Corbyn said he, Jeremy he was. Ger- did he say he was? Did he say he was? Yeah, yeah, right. uh, um, um, but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I sort of think the, the, the sense of the desire for change among young people, the sense of we want big things to be different, whether it's on tuition fees or climate change or the inequality or the way the country is, I think that's incredibly positive. I think the, ga- the, the, the Jeremy's galvanising of young people into politics is, is, a, is a, I mean, is a rem- I don't think you should underestimate it, is a remarkable success. It's a reason to be cheerful. It is a reason to be cheerful, definitely. And, and yeah, definitely. And I can let the opportunity go by without putting one of my famous quizzes to Ed Miliband. So here we are with that. Yeah. You have become a bit of a, a star on, on Twitter since you managed to wrestle back control of your account after the 2015 general yeah. election. So I'm going to give you really some tweets out here. Oh, go on, yeah. This and is the quiz bit. Was it pre-2015 or was it post-2015? No, 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 no. no. Oh. These are, did, like was this. this a tweet from Ed Miliband? Yeah. Or was it a tweet from Ed Balls? Good, OK, go, go, go <laughs> ahead. This is good. So first of all... Yeah. Great kiss on the balcony. Our royal wedding garden party in full swing. Trestle tables and bunting out. BBQ going nicely. Ed Balls. Paul? It's got to be Ed Balls. Yeah. He loves a barbecue. He Ed loves a barbecue. Okay. Uh, I do love Moomins. Uh, that's me. Oh, was he, do you remember what the context was? Yes, because the Milliverse did that. The <laughs> great man, Joel Corner, I think that's how you pronounce his name, uh, he said that... You know, he does these funny Milliverse timeline stuff, and he says, you know, Prime Minister Miliband balls his cabinet rigid with presentation on his trip to Finland. It was a yeah, trip to Helsinki, and yeah, that cabinet has yeah. to sit through photo slideshow, mostly oh, Ed with Moomins. Yeah, exactly, and yeah. I said I do love Moomins. I've got the mugs as well. Uh, cheese and onion. I hate salt and vinegar crisps. That's me. There was you. Do you remember when that was? Uh, no. That was during an Ask Ed M hashtag in July 2011. Gosh, There's a fun are. fact there. You know, I've always, as a, as a twin, always loved salt and vinegar crisps. My brothers always loved cheese and onion crisps. And I could never, to this day, eat cheese and onion crisps because my, they're owned my, by my brother. And what, what? Do, do you two have the same thing? Well, you and uh, I think we may both like cheese and onion, oh, actually. Come on. Um, could have a bit of what, differentiation. What, what's the. Uh, we've quite a fine <laughs> off of that, thank you very much. Uh, um, uh, but is there some. Is there some have, you, have you got someone to do a study of other twins? I don't know, I should do. There should be an academic study of the it's crisp preferences of twins. Different. I think that's what it was. Anyway, uh, interrupt. Thanks me. to Anne's pantry in Bentley me. for this cake, vanilla sponge. Definitely. Yes. I think Test Match Special. Do you want to do a Test Match Special? And finally, currently watching Saturday Kitchen. Bit disappointed. Ed Balls. Didn't go for food heaven. <laughs> the pork looked good. Yes. Well, you know well, that. He did. That. He did actually um, celebrity bake off, didn't he? Yes. And I, I confess, I turned down celebrity bake off. Oh, did you? I did. Oh, yeah. Wow. Exclusively not revealed. To, not very good. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's basically. That is, I mean, is there any other? Sh- I mean, obviously, Ed's done Strictly. Do you, are you looking at doing something like you know? The I mean, obviously, I'm, the I'm obviously waiting for the offer from the jungle. Is, is that the way? The jungle. <laughs> No to the jungle. No to the jungle. No, I, I'm sort of. Uh, I tend to lay off the um, the celebrity um, the celebrity doodah sort of thing. He meets, um, but um, 
I did get asked to do this crisp advert with Gary Lineker. Oh, did but, you? Yeah, we said no to Lindsay, actually, who works for me, said no to that. I didn't even get to find out what it would have involved me doing. Lindsay, actually, yeah. you know, was the gatekeeper. She was the gate. She's a pretty stern gatekeeper, actually. Yeah, so yeah. I still have the gatekeepers. There we are. So he's not going to go into the jungle, he says. He said there, didn't he? But uh, was offered an advert with Gary Lineker. So one, one imagines what that would have turned out like. So that was uh, Ed Bidwell. Thanks, Ed. Much appreciated. Um, and let's turn now to, uh, in case you missed it, a bit of news you might have missed this week while you were laughing at Theresa May's attempts to get Brexit sorted. Kate, what have you got for us? So, um, as Ned said about David Davis not wanting to miss an opportunity to make news, Philip Hammond seems to also be doing that lately. Um, And at the Treasury Select Committee yesterday, he uh, blamed the UK's fall in productivity on uh, more disabled people having jobs. So uh, that uh, that was good. Um, what was his argument there? He basic he was basically saying, if we're going to be fair to him as fair as possible, he was basically saying that productivity is not necessarily a good measure by which to judge the health of the economy. Um, but he sort of <laughs> went about it in a very it. very <laughs> ham fisted way. A Tory Chancellor is saying that first of all. I know about productivity is not. They always bang on about it. He said, um, "I will find the full quote now." He said. It's almost certainly the case that by increasing participation in the workforce, including far higher levels of participation by marginal groups and very high levels of engagement in the workforce, for example, of disabled people, he said that's something we should be extremely proud of, may have had an impact on overall productivity measurements. Obviously, Labour members of the Select Committee were furious. John Mann said it was appalling. Um, and Debbie Abrahams, the Shadow Work and Pension Secretary this morning, has written to Hammond and to Theresa May saying that he should apologise to the Commons, and if he doesn't, then he should be sacked. Has he got any stats to back up this claim? Um, Well, there is an increase in the number of disabled people in work, but it's nowhere near where the government said it wants to be. Um, And they launched last week, I think it was, they launched um, something off the back of the Green Paper, um, a 10-year plan to get more, a million more disabled people into work. So his messaging on that is not great, really. It's a funny obstacle, isn't he, Hammond? Because, like... Mm. He comes out with his madness every now well, and then. Like you said, there, there, there are no unemployed people in Britain. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it's Planet Hammond, isn't it? It's, it's the dry, he's desiccated... He's just not want any friends. ...economic he's just, he's just analysis. Like he just does anything he can to annoy everyone. But what's interesting is it's not just, you know, Labour that are upset by this kind of thing. He's, his colleagues say it all the time, fellow ministers, that this is what he's like. He's offhand. He's so dry. He doesn't really make an effort. He doesn't make an effort to try and win people round, and that's why you're seeing lots of, you know, spats. The usual spats between the Treasury and MOD, but other departments as well. You know, it, if you're trying to uh, win people round, he's not going about it the right way. Well, thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Make sure you give us a rating and a like and a nice comment on the old iTunes and Audio Boom pages or whichever particular application you use to listen to this wonderful show. Ned, have, have you enjoyed these hundred shows? You've been on most of them. Have you enjoyed them? Great. All of them. Each one. Brilliant. Favourite one? Uh, this one? Yeah. What's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure, been your favourite moment, Kate? Uh, whenever I win the quiz. Yeah, Paul? I thought you were going to say when I revealed I'd bitten someone's nose. But oh, God, that was amazing. Oh, two weeks ago. My yeah. favourite episode was probably uh, 43, if you're asking. It's not the ones you weren't doing. It's like the answer to the meaning of life, isn't it? I don't remember. That's no, 42. 42. Four, yeah, yeah 42. Uh, thanks, everyone, and uh, see you next week. Bye. Hold up. What was that? 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.